1: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we will be joined in a little bit by Mississippi State coach Chris Lamonas, the 2021 Baseball America Coach of the Year and National Champion uh, Chris Lamonas. So very excited to uh, to be able to talk with him about winning the national title the summer, uh, such as it was for him, uh, following the, the college world series and the 2022 Bulldogs. So a lot to get to there, uh, with Chris Lamotis. And we're going to do that as well as talk about, uh, the PAC 12 tournament, which is a new thing, uh, and was just announced today, um, What's this? August 25, as as we record, uh, they they announced that. So we're gonna we're gonna get into all of that today on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by RapSoto. RapSoto has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use RapSoto data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The RapSoto National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers. And provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts, you can check out the Rapsodo national player database at repsoto.com/nationaldatabase. slash national database. All right, Joe uh, we're here it's uh, it's August where we've got Chris Lamones coming on we've got the PAC 12 tournament to talk about it's uh, it's an exciting day in the college baseball uh, or in the baseball America college podcast.
2: Yeah, it'll be nice to to talk to Coach Lamonis and I think in some ways put a a little bit of a bow on on last season. You know, he was someone we we obviously wanted to talk to, and and kind of felt like, and I think our hunch was right. Like when we started mapping out guests on on the podcast, like I think that we just both kind of internally understood that uh, maybe you know maybe we'll give him a few weeks. You know, like and based on the conversation we had, I think that I think that was right. It was kind of made me feel better about. The fact that I've had a a conversation with probably 25 different people at this point since the CWS ended about how, you know, it just, it's hard to imagine kids are back on campus now because it, like, yes, there's always summer ball in a normal year, but like this year with the schedule being what it was, it just felt like it was one thing right after the next. And then here we are again with fall ball about to get started in in a lot of places and seeing a lot of tweets the last few days of, you know, just, just very simple, like, Videos of players playing catch and, and whatnot, but showing that hey, you know, activity is has picked up back again on campus. So it, it you know, if Chris limonis obviously has been in a position where he probably hasn't stopped going. He and his staff, but I think that's true of all of us. So if nothing else, it was kind of nice to hear that from him because it makes me feel like you know, I I, I guess I've been right to feel like a, a little bit that we've all been pretty stretched thin in, in college baseball with the schedule
1: being what it was. Yeah, I mean, it's we we, we talk about it on in in the interview we'll get to that that like they won the world series and it was the last day of june like just a couple hours after the final out like it was july and you know so it was the latest the college world series could possibly run and you know then with the later draft everything just bunched right up there so uh, definitely a, a busy summer that we are turning, turning the corner on into fall. Like you mentioned, some, some programs are out starting their individual work for, for fall ball. A lot of schools I uh, noticed uh, this week was their first week of classes. So, you know, it's, it is the end of August and, and folks are doing end of August things. This weekend there will be college football. It's not the full-on start of the college football season. It's just week zero, uh, and as such, if you're looking for this year's list of the best uh, the, the the best baseball players playing college football, that will not come out until the following week, which is actual week one of, of college football. But uh, every everything, all signs pointing towards fall here. And yeah, I mean we're we're wrapping up summer still over at baseballamerica.com. Next week we're going to have a whole bunch of summer ball lists, Cape Cod, Team USA, North Woods League, et cetera. Uh, and, and then from there, you know, it, it'll be Labor Day weekend, and we're going to, you know, come come back from Labor Day weekend and be fully into to fall for us, starting with recruiting rankings, and transfer rankings, and, and then into fall ball stuff. And uh, so it's uh it's all coming at us real quick here. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I don't know about you, but um... It's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, on the one hand, it comes quick. On the other hand, it is – I always get excited this time of year, and I think this year there's a particular excitement for it because there was a lot of reason to be um, – it was cool that we had so many known entities back in college baseball heading into last season. It was nice to have that familiarity with so many of the teams and the players, and in many ways it felt like just kind of running back the 2020 season to the extent that we could – and so it'll be kind of nice that I think there's going to be a lot of mystery this fall. And like, yeah, will that cause some, you know, on your your part and my part, will that, you know, cause us to have to do, you know, a little bit more like splitting hairs on teams as we try to put together off-season rankings and all that kind of stuff? Like, sh- absolutely, sure. But on the other hand, I think part of the reason, just speaking for myself, like part of the reason I really enjoy this sport is that it's, it's new every fall, right? I mean, that's true yes. to some degrees in, in pro sports, for example, but in college sports and College baseball specifically, there's just a a decent amount of turnover. Every fall you spend learning new players and, you know, players transferring from one place to the other and new coaches in place. And there's just, there's always like a like a newness about the fall and kind of a discovery phase. And I, you know, I find that I find that fun. Like occasionally, do I go out to a fall practice and like not much happens and I question my decision of whether or not I needed to be there? Like, absolutely, sure, that happens too. But just as often you go out there and you you see a player that that really strikes you or you, you you get your first glimpse at a, at a really highly touted recruit and you get to kind of see the the first uh you know, first you know shots of, of that player being what we think he can be and so the fall is kind of a fun time as much as much as it, it does start to feel like the avalanche is upon us it is kind of a fun time to to be covering this sport because this is this is our preview time you know um in terms of, of getting looks at these teams and um so i, I find it a lot of fun even if you know, maybe at this point, it would be nice to to have a little bit of a break, you know, just from, from a workflow standpoint. But, you know, I think, you know, part of the part of why I love this, this job and doing this the way we do is that, you know, the, the fall is an opportunity to to get that glimpse.
1: Well, we're, uh, we're gonna get into plenty about fall ball here in the weeks and months t- to come. Uh, today, though, we're, uh, we're a little not quite into that yet so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up uh like i said with uh with, with wrap up this mississippi state national championship summer kind of deal uh, talk here with with chris Lomonas about the bulldogs winning the first national championship and uh what that experience was like for him and you know the celebrations and and all the rest of that and then start looking ahead to uh to 2022 um Lamotis was also named our college coach of the year um he is the third coach ever to win both the assistant coach of the year and then the coach of the year joining uh, Tim Corbin and Brian O'Connor um so very impressive group to be joining very impressive group that he joined earlier this year just by winning the national championship uh, so exciting times for him. And, oh, by the way, he signed a, a contract extension this summer. So uh, lots uh, lots going on w- with him, with the Mississippi State program overall. So a lot to get into today. Let's get to that interview here uh, with Chris Lamonas in just a second. But first, check this out. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Mississippi State coach Chris Lamonas newly uh, the Baseball America Coach of the Year, Chris Limonis, I, I should add. So, Coach, we appreciate you you joining us here today. Uh, obviously, a, a busy summer for you, an exciting summer, I'm, I'm sure, but we're, we're happy you were able to take a few minutes for us.
3: Thanks, man. It's a, it's an honor to be on, and, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy summer. is really the way we, uh, we were just talking about it in the office, about finally just getting back here and having the staff under one roof has been nice for the last week.
1: Yeah, so, I mean – You win the title on the 30th, you come back to Starkville and I'm sure there's some celebrations then, but I imagine you guys have not been able to
3: reconvene at all, uh, you know, as a, as a full staff until the, the we had a parade here in Starkville. We had a meeting day and we had the 4th of July, which we kind of all hung out and at my pool and just kind of chilled. And then the July 5th, my guys were on the road, you know? And I didn't see them for the rest of the summer. You know, they just came back here in the last week and um, getting them under one roof. And, you know, after, you know, they, they all took a week of vacation there at the end of the summer just to get away. But getting everybody back here and working together now. We've been back for a week. So um, our kids have been in classes. We've started practice. So that's the fun part of it. Does anything stand out, you know, about
2: this this tour that you guys went on, kind of, you know, celebrating with the state? um does anything any, i know this is a tough question because i'm sure it all stood out but are there any particular moments that stand out about that tour you guys went on where you went and celebrated with all your fans throughout the state
3: oh well, we i've been um you know i stayed back I, you know my dad is is in average health but i need to be here to take care of him so cheese went out and recruited this summer so i stayed back i mean if it was a summer i was going to stay back this was the one because you know we'd pick up and fly to the delta or fly to hattiesburg or fly to different places and and um John Cohen's been doing, you know, everywhere he speaks, we just, you know, we're taking the trophy around the state and they actually had a tour where they went to almost every town. It felt like in the state of Mississippi and people could take pictures. And I didn't go on that tour. I had too much work to do, but it was, um, our fan base is so prideful and, and excited. And, and, you know, the, the letters, the videos I get of, you know, just, it's, it's a family program and people have grown up inside this program, you know, the fans and, So um, then the experiences they've talked about, the letters I've received have been pretty cool. How how much time have you gotten to spend with the actual trophy? Oh, it sits in my office every day. So it, it, now when it leaves, it goes, but we actually, we actually got a second trophy. So that one could go around. We're just deciding where to put the trophies here on campus. I think, uh, I think John's going to build something in the, in the stadium right when you walk in to where all our fans can appreciate it and take a picture with it. And then we'll, We'll have one here in the office area we just got to figure out um, you know a couple nights I ended up taking it home so you're worried somebody's gonna take it so I'm walking into <laughs> my neighbor's houses we're all taking pictures so it's been a lot of fun so
2: when you when you brought the trophy back home did you buckle it into a seatbelt in the car I'm curious about yeah, how you got sure that thing you no
3: know, we did that trophy is locked down we nobody wants to be the one to break it you know I remember Tom Brady throwing theirs across the boats so uh, we've kept ours uh, <clears throat> we've kept ours pretty secure.
1: Have you been able to um, to take some time to to reflect on the on the World Series? You know, I, obviously it's been a busy summer, but but have you been able to to take some time
3: and, and think about what what you guys were able to accomplish this year? You know what, it, I do in small moments, like in you know, there's so many great videos and stuff out there of of our experience, and it was an unbelievable. Really, it's a month. You know, that postseason's a month. of uh, experience with your team that was just unbelievable but you know, you get back and you're working so hard and you're in a league where everybody's now they're trying to catch you. Right. And they're working hard and you just don't have a lot of time to sit back. And everybody asks me, does it feel different? It really doesn't because we're back to work and you know, you know, you got a bullseye on your back and everybody's coming and, and you got to get after it. So there's moments that, you know, we'll all sit in and we'll see a certain video. Oh, Did you see this one? And, and you remember things that happened in the game. And so, um, but I haven't even watched the games. Everybody in our town keeps saying, Hey, we watched the replay and have you seen it? And I'm, I i have not watched any of the replays. I'm sure I'll do it someday.
2: I would imagine there's a little bit of like, <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of what they say about your wedding day. It's when you get to the end of it, you look back and you, 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 you remember that it happened, but you, you don't remember necessarily all the little bits and pieces of it. I imagine it's a little like that where you, you look back on it and you probably remember the game situations very
3: specifically, but in terms of everything else that went around it, I imagine it, it feels a little bit like it was a blur. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a blur. It's um, and you do. You remember certain things. Uh, I saw a clip the other day in the eighth inning when we scored the runs off Virginia and Rowdy Jordan had his head down and ran to third. And you know, shoot, if he gets picked off right there, that we probably don't win the national championship. And he ends up, you know, nobody's covering second. He runs back. So you got all these little pieces that come back to you over the games, like oh, I I totally forgot about that play, and you know, different things that happen, you know, you know during the during the series. I remember more of the hanging out in the locker room, pre-games, hotel. You remember all that. It seems like the games and they, they, the games are what's a little bit of blur to me in some ways.
1: When, when you look at the, this team, obviously it takes a special team to win a national championship. When, when did you realize that this was such a special group?
3: You know, I thought last fall we really had a chance. I mean, when you we, – we could pitch at a high level, power pitch – we had some veteran position players. We've been there and done that, you know, so I think that's a big part of it. And um, and we were just a tough, hard-nosed group. It just, um, you know, I, but during the season, we had like the ups and downs as, as much as anybody. I mean, we could be really good, and then we'd play some weekends where, you know, you know, we had Arkansas here for the first SEC weekend, and they sweep us, and they sweep us bad, you know then we play good. And then we, you know, we got a chance to probably win the sec if we have a great weekend against Missouri at home and they take two out of three. And then we, you know, we go to the sec tourney and we get 10 run rule twice. So it's like, you know, we had those and then, but we responded every time and it was such a resilient group and, um, and we just locked into playing weekends there and, you know, regional, super regional, and then getting to Omaha and we got hot and, uh, you know, Will Bednar got hot, Landon Sims was hot from the start of the season, you know, but, um, and we just, you know, we had some players that really, you know, our lineup kind of got put together. Kellum Clark got in there late, which was a big piece. And Brad Cumbus got in there late and really played well over the last month. So we had some guys that really helped us out. Rowdy and Tanner and LT and some of those guys, they played, you know, great that whole, you know, for pretty much the whole year, But um, but some of those other guys really helped us late.
2: You mentioned Will Bednar there, and I think a lot of folks will remember his performance in the CWS for a long, long time. Uh, have you ever had a pitcher that was really just locked in in the way he was in the CWS? Because it, I mean, there was just there was just something about the way he was throwing out there that you knew that it was uh, it was in the stars for you guys. I think.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, after Game One, you don't know. You know, he pitches so great against Texas that first night, and then I grabbed the game ball. This kid's never been to Omaha. I said, Hey, man, congratulations. That's one of the best games ever pitched here in the College World Series. This will be something you remember for a lifetime, not to think he'd go out and do it two more times, you know. Um, but yeah, his he was hot. He's really talented, obviously, but he got hot there late. I mean, he pitched well late. Um, you know, at Alabama he pitched really well and then came into that. And then our his postseason run was really good. And, um, you know, we, you know, he started the season slow, had a neck injury, didn't pitch the first couple of weeks, and then had to get back into it. And we were able to not over pitch him because of our deep bullpen. And I think that really helped him in the long run, because, you know, by the time we got to Omaha, I felt like he was pitching his best of the year, you know, velocity and everything. Um, I think that really helped him. But he was, you know, obviously he was a superstar out there.
1: Obviously, he now has has moved on in, in the draft. Tanner Allen, Christian McLeod, some of these other guys that, that have moved on to pro ball, and, and you now have some holes to fill as, as you start to look to the, the 2022 team. Uh, fall ball still a little ways away, but but what are you looking for this fall in terms of finding out some things about how you're
3: going to go about um, you know filling some of these holes on the on the roster? Well, I think pitching's the biggest side for us right now, and not that we don't have talent, we just got to find roles and figure out what roles. And you know, we lose all four of our starting pitchers, you know, you know that we that we used last year for the most part. So that's that's a big jump, and you know we're gonna you know we're gonna move. Landon back into the rotation. So Sims will move back into the rotation. And, you know, a lot of times the closer moving him in, you know, but Landon was a different type of closer. He's been a starter his whole life. And last year was the first year he'd ever thrown out of the bullpen. And his bullpen appearances would be three, four, five innings at a time, you know. So we just tried to have games with him. So I feel like he'll he'll move into that role. But we got to find, you know, a couple more starters. And then we got to find some arms at the end of the game. I think in college baseball, I think what one reason we were really good last year is, we could pitch well at the end of the game. We had some swing and miss there. We made you, you know, we made you have to really compete in the last three innings. And um, you know, those are some of the things that we gotta we gotta find from our staff.
2: You know, you you mentioned Landon there and his ability to give you length out of the out of the bullpen and starting, of course, a little bit different animal. So what are the kind of things you're looking for from him to be able to make that jump successfully? Because, you know, it's a thing that happens pretty often in college baseball, and some guys end up it works out and some guys not. Not so much. So what are some of those benchmarks you're looking for and things you're looking for him to take jumps with to be successful in that role?
3: Well, I think one is just building a volume for him this fall. <laughs> and the other piece is being in the reliever role that he was in, he didn't have to use his changeup much. He actually has a really good changeup. So I think having to, you know, get out there and, and use that changeup against left-handers and, and figure out some different things, um, you know, from that side. But like I said, he's, he's been a starter his whole life. He was a starter last fall for us. He was a starter in spring training. Just got to the point where we had McLeod, Sarantola, Bednar. And, you know, the first game we went in, in Texas, when we played Texas that first game, and said, hey, we're just going to use starter, starter. And it happened to be McLeod and Sims. And, and he was so good in that role that we just never took him out of it. But I, I just, you know, it, I know it, there's a lot of them like that, and I've had to do it before, and it didn't work. And, but I have a feeling Landon's just got such more of a background as a starter. So I feel like he'll be good. We just got to get the change up, you know, working.
1: Offensively, Tanner Allen was was such a big piece of it all, but you do bring back a lot of guys, Clark, James, um, you know, so so many of of the hitters are back, but how do you begin to replace the SEC player of the year?
3: Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, not only, I mean, just every big hit, anytime we needed a big hit, I mean, just he got the big hit, Virginia or Texas A&M or Ole Miss or Tulane, all through our year, he had so many big hits that one game, so – you're not going to replace Tanner Allen just with one player. It's going to have to be a collective effort, but I really like our group. I like our group. We've been on the field four days. We're probably, um, our position players are kind of like our pitchers last year. We have a deep group of position players. It's a lot of competition right now, but you um, just hope you guys make steps forward. I mean, you got Cameron James who had a great year last year. and was, a, you know, my, those guys are freshmen in my mind that last year, they that was their first year of playing SEC ball him and, Logan Tanner and I mean Luke Han- Luke Hancock's back, maybe one of the better analytical guys in all of baseball. So, you know, we feel like we got a good core, and we're looking for a jump out of our guys. You know, that's the you know that you know, some of our sophomores, the Kellum Clark's, the Lane foresights be nice for them to make a jump here in the off season. Another guy you have coming back behind the plate
2: and Logan Tanner, the guy who played for Team USA this summer, and you know gets rave reviews for his his defensive skills and. You know, in addition to being a guy who can hit the ball out of ballpark for you. But, you know, defensively, I think that's something that we, you know, those of us who don't coach or evaluate, we hear a good defensive catcher, and, and what we tend to fixate on the arm, and he's got a great arm. But, like, beyond that, like, for for people who, you know, maybe have a little bit of a naked eye on this kind of stuff, translate a little bit for us when we say he's a good receiver or he handles the pitching staff well. What kinds of things, what kind of value does that bring to the team, and how specifically does, does Logan Tanner kind of express those skills for you guys?
3: You don't even realize it. I'm glad you said that because that's when people everybody talks and he got a bazooka. I mean, if he wanted to pitch, he'd be a hundred off the mound. Like, but the reality is, is it's the it's the receiving. And you don't even know it. So, you know, we have all the track man and everything. And you go back after the game and you look at how many pitches he got or, or missed. I mean, his is as high as anybody in the country. I mean, he just gets you more pitches throughout a game. It's and it's not a in this day and age, there's a lot of snatching. And you see in the big leagues and everybody's pulling. He is the strongest catcher in terms of his hands and his strength of his hands. He just catches and can hold. And he is a phenomenal guy. And I have a, you know, we have a true catching coach and coach cheese, Kyle Cheesebro, And he, he sits right by me every game and he'll make, I don't even see it. My naked eye doesn't even see certain things, but the catching coach always does. And um, he's just, it's pretty special. And he makes a difference to our pitching staff every day. And then, you know, from a throwing side, it just got to where people, nobody ran, you know, when we ran into, you know, we ran into. Let me think. Not Sanford, but we had Campbell and VCU who ran. Then we had Notre Dame. Then we get into Omaha. You got Texas. You got. I mean, you got some teams you like to put a lot of pressure in. People just didn't run off of him. He's just that good behind the plate. You uh, you have another good group of newcomers.
1: I guess I'll, I'll spoil my own rankings here and say you have another top ten group of newcomers coming in in, in this recruiting class. Uh, early days, obviously, but what what are you
3: excited about with uh, with this new group of players coming in? You know, we got a little bit of everything here, and so um, our, our recruiting Jake Otro does a great job, and all our coaches because it's a it's a team effort of recruiting. Um, but I, I think we we got a really good core of high school players. You know, we have a core of about four or five high school hitters that I think got a chance to be really special, physical, athletic. I mean, Slade Alford, um, Aaron Downs. Uh, Trey Higgins, and Hunter Hines, and I'm probably leaving somebody out, but those four guys in our, you know, just first week or so, they're physical, they can hit the ball out of the ballpark, they've played a lot of baseball, all of them were potential draft guys that made it to school, you know, so, and then we have a couple nice high school arms that, you know, Jack Walker was the National Pitcher of the Year out of Barb High School, Pico Cone was maybe one of the top left-handers out of this part of the code country, Cole Cheatham's kind of a, you know, we just had some guys out there that have, that have been throwing and doing, and then we get a couple nice JUCO transfers at Andrew Wallings, a left-handed pitcher been up to supposedly 99 to hundred left-handed and don't, um, you know, and competes and throw strikes and uh, Brooks Auger's another JUCO arm that we brought in. So we, we have some nice guys. And then we have a nice couple of grad trans. You know, your, your classes look so different these days because of the COVID and so many more grad transfers, but RJ Yeager from uh, Mercer, Big physical shortstop, you know, we were able to pick up late. And then uh, Jess Davis, the center fielder from UAB, who won a gold glove last year. So some just some different variety in that class, but some very talented players. On a different note, you and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, that, you know, Tanner Allen
2: example of being a guy who's great on the field but brings a lot off the field as well. One of the things that strikes me about Tanner Allen um, and then Jake Mangum before him is that this program, especially of late, really has a way of producing players that aren't just – it's not just they're productive, but they really connect with the fan base in a specific way. They're, I guess somebody might call them a cult, cult heroes. Yeah. Um, how, why do you think that is? What's going on there to where like it seems like this program recently has produced those kinds of guys?
3: You know, I think it's a lot about our fan base. They're just so into it, and they figure out certain guys they really like. Because if you go back past Jake Mangum and you look at Wes Ray and you look at – you know, they've just had them here, and it's just we're on such a big – a big uh, stage here, the social media piece now, but I give Jake Mangum and Tanner Allen the credit. You know, you'll look out here and I I know a fan wrote me a letter after the Missouri. I I talked about Missouri earlier. We lost lose on Sunday to Missouri, which may have cost us the league. And uh, an hour after the game, Tanner Allen's out there signing autographs, with nobody, nobody else. And Jake Mangum had a lot about that, about him too, just of um, you know, communicating with the fan base and signing autographs and spending some extra time and you know we had a my first year I didn't get it like I didn't understand our fan base at all and you know Jake Mangum's in you know somebody's house a guy passes away the next day you know he's on his deathbed and but he owned one of the left field lounges and um, Jake Mangum went to his house and spent time with him they wanted he wanted to see Jake you know I mean that's just I mean that sounds crazy but that's kind of you know what you got here I go to the old folks home my dad's in there now but you know there's a lady who turns 100 jake's at her party you know like you just don't i don't know if kids are doing that in other communities where um our people that they love these players and this is what they live for and so those guys are very in tune and locked into the to, to the community
1: you talk about special fan bases and, and cultivating that and, and ron polk obviously had had a role in that uh over the many years that that he was a a part of the program he's he's been around it a little bit more the last last few years i know he's your neighbor um what what's it been like to to see that relationship between you guys grow and i guess how is ron polk as a neighbor
3: <laughs> as a neighbor he's a hermit he never comes out of his house <laughs> so um you know you talk about fan bases and cultivating fan bases he cultivated the fan base in the entire state of mississippi I really truly believe that that you you it, there's no state and I hate to give props to the other schools in our state but there's no state that had draws like they do here in Starkville or Oxford or Hattiesburg I mean it's just it, this was grown from what he did 30 years ago you know and in and, and a national thing you know ESPN a lot of those pieces were because were of coach so we um, we have a great relationship he's back he came back from the Cape um, you know showed up in the office and he's you know, I don't know how well you know his personalities, but he's always kind of jabbing at you, so giving you a hard time. So he's walking through and talking to our coaches and talking to our players. And I introduced him in our first meeting, you know, so the young kids know who he is. And he actually has a museum in his house of all his stuff from and he never threw anything away. It's really cool college baseball museum. And it's not just Mississippi State, it's Team USA. It's he's on the Bob Hope show. I mean, this guy's done it all. And you know, as you, and he brings all the team, you know, the new kids over. You get a tour, you learn about the program. It's just, you know, it's just a good guy to have. Our kids love him. And um, he just always comes. Out. I've never been around anybody who has more of a passion for the game of baseball than Coach Polk. I mean, it's just, I'm not and It's so far above me. It's, it's crazy because that's why he's still doing it. That's why he's a volunteer at UAB. That's why he's in the Cape Cod League. He just loves the game, the pureness of the game, just loves the coach. And, and, and that's fun to have around every day.
2: We will wrap with the most important question we ask all of our guests on the show, and uh, that's to, for, for you to describe your favorite sandwich to us. Now I will talk for a second and filibuster a little bit to give you a second to, to, to wrap your brain around that a little bit, but uh, it's an open-ended question. You can give us a sandwich that you make at home. That's the one that you're particularly good at and proud of making that you enjoy at home. You can give us a sandwich that you eat when you're out somewhere locally. Um, everything is on the table. Uh, We put no limitations on it. So please, Chris Limonis, describe to us your favorite sandwich. I'm
3: a boring guy, but I like egg salad and I like my own egg salad that I make at my house. So how boring is that one? So, you know, it's
2: funny. Every, every coach comes on here and tells us how boring they are, but you know, everybody's
3: got a different sandwich though. They
2: say it's boring
3: and then they give us a different sandwich. I like the golf. It's always usually at golf courses and everything else. So I I grabbed at the golf course, but I always, if I make one, usually I'm making an egg salad at my house. So um, which is pretty basic, but um, I did not know that was on y'all's podcast, so I gotta listen to the ends. So Yeah, maybe one of these
2: days we'll put out an episode that's just the sandwich answers, give the people yeah, what they sandwich. really
3: want. It would be good. So well, hey, well, what what is y'all's? Did y'all throw y'all's out on another one? Or we have at various times. I um I think
1: I, I have officially said BLT, uh, sure. but I, I sometimes wander back and forth on that. Joe, uh what, what do you got?
2: Uh peanut butter and jelly guy. Um y'all are boring too. <laughs> you know, that's, see, that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying i mean the sandwiches are a classics for a reason you know i get another boring one i could, grilled cheese is probably my number two if yeah. it, good but the problem oh, with grilled oh. cheese that,
3: that was, was coming grill. to my head after that one so
2: yeah like the problem with grilled cheese though like i feel like a peanut butter and jelly is pretty consistent you can have a grilled cheese it's just not if the cheese isn't melty enough if the bread's not crispy enough like you can have some grilled cheese it's not very that's good so
3: the key. so that's usually what the grill you get it out you never know what you're getting so that's right that's right. Is it? Guys, I appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. We uh,
1: we really appreciate you taking the time. We're excited to see where Mississippi State goes, what what the team looks like in 2022, and uh, so we'll we'll definitely be watching uh, this fall and into the spring. All right, thanks, guys. Hail State! Y'all have a great week. Thank you again to Mississippi State Coach Chris Limonis for joining us today on the Baseball America College Podcast, uh, Joe. It's uh, it, it's kind of remarkable to to look back on that run that they made, uh, they being Mississippi State, uh, over the the final, you know, throughout the the postseason. When you think about where they were just going into the postseason, he, he mentioned that Missouri series, which was the second to last weekend of SEC play. And you know they lost upset by the last place team in the SEC. They go out, they they beat Bama the next weekend. But, you know, then they, you know, like he said, they got run ruled twice in the SEC tournament. It was, it was not the way that you would draw up going into into regionals, but from there, Mississippi State was able to turn it on and, and the rest was history. Will Bednar was, was fantastic in Omaha. They, they came up with a whole bunch of clutch hits and uh, they, they come away as, as national champions. And, and just to think through some of those things and, and hear him talk about some of the situations that, that they found themselves in, you know, just to, to relive that a little bit, all all the more impressive.
2: It's, it is kind of, I'm glad he brought those instances up late in the season because it's, you know, it's easy when a team does what they did to gloss over some of the challenges that they had along the way and just assume everything was hunky-dory the entire season. And those two instances I think are different in my mind. I was, you know, the, the SEC tournament one kind of made my ears perk up a little bit and and kind of wonder, hmm, okay, I, you know, I don't I don't know what we're going to see in the postseason. You know, you, you always have a lot of confidence when they're going to be playing at home, but but it just kind of made me wonder. Um, it, it's funny, the Missouri one, you know, I think it speaks to kind of what they built there and then what we saw throughout the postseason that, you know, they lose that Missouri series. And I, I kind of remember just being like, huh, okay, well, not ideal, but that's fine. You know, like you just get to that point of the season, and you and I have talked about this, you, you kind of just get – to that point of the season. And you know enough about these teams to really be able to look at certain series and look at the results and say, well, that, that was unexpected, but I don't think it really necessarily means anything. Whereas, you know, earlier in the season, we just don't have that. So, and I think you extrapolate that out and I think you can look at the bigger picture with this Mississippi state team. And I think draw kind of a similar conclusion where it was not necessarily the smoothest ride for them wins and losses standpoint, like they they were pretty darn consistent. I'm not even talking about that, but I'm just saying from the standpoint of like, will Bednar came on late, but that was not the smoothest ride for them on the mound. Like, you know, you could count on Landon Sims for sure. And, you know, Bednar late, but you know, Christian McLeod struggled at times right up to the end of the season. um, Even though a lot of his numbers end up looking pretty doggone good when you look back on it, but the bullpen at times looked like it could be the deepest in the country. The bullpen other times looked, Like they didn't really have anybody they trusted out there outside of Landon Sims. And so um, they had that going for them. there were times where you and I had conversations about how good is this offense really, you know, outside of Tanner Allen and they just get it done, you know, and it seemed like every time they need a big hit, they got it. And, you know, you look up and down the lineup and it's like, well, they've got a mix of, they got some speed and they've got some pop and they've got some guys who, you know, can really get on base at a high clip and work some counts. It was just a team that, got done what they needed to get done. There wasn't a lot of drama to it. There wasn't a lot of hyperbole about it. Um, you know, so I think that in the microcosm, you look at some of the results on the field that, Hey, we, you know, overcame, fought through losing a a late series to Missouri fought through going 0 two in the sec tournament and looking awful along the way. But I think in the macro, you look at it and that's just kind of how this team operated. It wasn't it wasn't the prettiest all the time. And yet, you know, they're the one lifting the trophy at the end because they were just consistent and was a team that clearly had a lot of belief and those things went a long, long way.
1: Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how that now carries over. Um, I I think, you know, we we touched on it. What replacing Tanner Allen means kind of from an on, on field perspective, but from an off field perspective, it won't be easy as well, or at least from a, you know, kind of intangibles perspective and Rowdy Jordan was, was a big part of that. And and they had other, you know, older leaders. And so they're now going to have to find some new guys to kind of carry the flag there. And, you know, seeing that as it develops over the next year is, is going to be interesting. We have Mississippi state number four right now in our never too early top 25. Um, They're behind Texas, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that some people would want to reverse the Mississippi State and the Arkansas thing, specifically um, maybe feel like they should be even higher if they are the defending champs, but, um, you know, Joe, I when, when we look at this team, I, I see a lot to really like, you know, you you heard it there from Chris Limonis talking about the uh, the returning talent offensively, especially, and just how much talent they have on the mound, a lot of new roles, but also a lot of talent. And, and so there's a lot to like, but there are questions to be answered and that battles, position battles to play out over the fall and, and into the early spring.
2: Oh, no doubt. And, you know, you can look at the flip side of, of what I just said, where, you know, they came up with a lot of big hits they had a guy in Will Bednar just pitch out of his mind at the end of the season. And you could look at the flip side of that and say, okay, well, if if Will Bednar is 25% less good than he was at the end of the season, and if another key hitter had kind of been in the tank in the CWS and, and was really struggling, it's a different result because look, I mean, they got to the third game of the CWS finals, you lose that game, you're done. They got pushed by Texas, you know, before they got to the CWS finals. So it doesn't take much for this season to end quite differently, or even before the CWS, right? I mean, they got pushed by Notre Dame in the super regional. So but I think that's the kind of thing we're talking about where, you know, we have a lot of faith in in what they have here, but you can definitely see scenarios where you can I think you can see the, the situations where this team either doesn't quite figure it out to the extent we think they will, or could take a little time to figure out what they need to figure out, you know, on the mound, you know, you, you like the fact that you have and Sims back in some role. Right. But is he a starter? Like, I don't know. We're going to, we're going to find out. Uh, you know, that was one thing Chris Lamones has talked about. And it's probably the most fascinating thing on this team for me personally, is how that goes, because we've seen it go really, really well. I mean, is it
1: like, I, do you really, do you really not think he can handle Friday
2: nights? Mm, no, I, I I bet on him being able to handle it, but you know making the switch from closer to, to starting pitcher like sometimes goes well sometimes doesn't like there are times where it just it just doesn't go exactly like you you'd hoped it would go and you know sometimes it kind of finish ends up being somewhere in the middle right i mean like maybe he the stuff i, mean, is really- I just
1: think that like this is a guy that threw four innings multiple times throughout the year he oftentimes and we talked i talked about this endlessly i feel like in june about how landon sims doesn't do back-to-back days and like he barely has even pitched twice on a weekend. Like he was a oh, closer, yes, but like he wasn't a traditional closer by any any definition.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you feel like a, a big key is going to be, because like his his fastball slider combination is devastating and is very effective, and that'll get him a long, long way. Uh, you do feel like the key is going to be, like Coach Lamon has talked about, developing a changeup. You
1: know, he says he's got a good one, but you know, you got you to gotta see it, right? Um, That's another thing. Like, I mean, like I haven't dove into Landon Sims versus lefties, but like that also feels like the kind of thing that people talk about every year. Like I remember Brady Singer every year was like, ah, this is the year I work on my changeup. And you know what Brady Singer, he worked on the changeup all the time in college and yet it was mostly fastball slider and all he did was win player of the year and like Kershaw every spring training is like, I need to get the changeup to be better. And then it's just fastball curveball, And he's the best pitcher of his generation, maybe. And I like, I'm just not that concerned about Landon Sims on Friday nights. I might be concerned about what they're going to do at the back of the bullpen without Landon Sims, but I, I, I'm not concerned about him as a, as the ACE.
2: Well, and that's the thing. I mean, right. That, Cause that's, I guess that's, um, it's different from what I was saying, but like, it's, it's similar just in terms of, okay. So he does work out on Fridays. Like, okay, then then you've still got the questions, right? I mean, you you having a having a dude on Friday. Like, I I will go to the grave saying that step one, if you're going to be a team that wins a lot of games in the SEC, which by extension means a team that could win a national title, like step one is you have to have a guy on Friday who can give you a shot every Friday. Like if you don't have that, it's just gonna be really, really tough. Even if you think you have three guys who are all pretty good. Like I just think you have to have a guy who can, can go toe to toe with whoever he's going to face on Friday nights. And there's a very good chance they're going to have that. Um, the question is what they're going to have, what they're going to have after it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, everything we've seen so far suggests he's going, he's going to do it, but I, I will be fascinated just to, to see it and see what that ramp up looks like and, and see how long it takes him to be fully, fully optimized. Um, if you will, because I do have a lot of, I, I do have a lot of confidence in the position player group. I think much like last year, it, it kind of is like an interesting mix of guys. Um, you know, you've got some guys who can hit the ball out of ballpark, you've got some guys who can run, you got, you know, kind of an on-base specialist like Luke Hancock. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of interesting pieces there. I do have a pretty high level of confidence in in that group, um, even filling in some of the, the notable gaps they have there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I like also what they have coming in. You know, we talked a little bit about those newcomers. Um, and they have, you know, if assuming Sims on Friday night and you know maybe a fristo following him. Like they have good options beyond those guys uh to fill a variety of roles. So I'm gonna be very interested to see how how those roles shake out what Scott Foxhall uh decides to do in um with with the pitching staff. And and that was one of the things about this year that I, I think I don't want to say it went under the radar. I'm little went under the radar for Mississippi State. But if you just looked at it on the surface level, what they're doing in Omaha, like you saw Bednar and Sims doing so much for that pitching staff, but they they also just did a good job at kind of cycling through a variety of guys who could do the jobs at, at various times. Um, you know, guys guys would, would come up and perform for a while. And, and then, you know, if when, when they slumped a little bit, there were other options to be had. You know, sometimes we view that as a bad thing on a pitching staff, but you know, in in a lineup, you you don't ever expect all nine guys to click at once. You gotta you gotta find and develop lineup depth to to help cover for that. And and I felt feel like that's kind of what they did uh, on on the pitching side. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they're able to uh, to, to rebuild that thing um, on the mound.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have to give Molina a little bit of credit. I mean, that's a good point because. I think what we see every year in the postseason is that pitching staffs get shorter, you know, as the season goes on. Fewer and fewer guys that coaches feel like they can trust. And so I do have to give that coaching staff a lot of credit that, you know, we saw big innings pitched in Omaha by the likes of Stone Simmons, whose ERA was almost five, by Cam Toller, whose ERA was almost seven. Um, They clearly believed in the guys they had, and they were just going to run them out there, you know, and, and give them a shot, which I think one of the gripes I've often had is, is that sometimes pitching staffs get too short? Like I, I think coaches sometimes underestimate the number of guys they have that could actually get the job done and, and try to squeeze it a little bit too much. So I, you know, if, if I'm going to criticize that, sometimes I do have to give credit for the opposite, which is that they were going to run guys out there who maybe you wouldn't have. The average fan might have been, you know, uh, wringing their hands a little bit about them coming in, but more often than not in the CWS, that that kind of amalgamation of a bunch of different relievers ended up getting the job done.
1: Yeah, very very impressive uh, from from Mississippi State. Uh, of course, I mean it's not not a surprise that they have a deep pitching staff, but they uh, they definitely flex that uh, at, at times throughout last year and, and now. Again, that that's going to have to be what they find from a position player side. Um, you know, I don't want to read too much into Cape results for Mississippi State players. They played a really long season and. After you win a national championship, I imagine that just getting emotionally ready to, to go back to, to playing baseball is probably not the, the easiest thing to do um, in the immediate there on the Cape. But, you know, Cameron James was, was and, and uh, they, they just he, he was one of some players that were not that impressive uh, in, in the Cape League. Don't again. Don't want to read too much into into what those guys did or didn't do, but they, they are going to have to find like like Lamona said, multiple players who can kind of make up for what Jordan and Allen produced. So who are those guys going to be, and 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 how are they going to go about doing that? And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how the transfers get integrated in with uh, you know the, the the grad transfers of Jaeger of and, and Davis. They did a good they have done a good job at bringing in grad transfers the last couple of years. So now very interested to see how, uh, how this latest uh, group does there in Starkville.
2: I think it's got a chance to be a pretty decent defensive team in a lot of places, you know, obviously they, i losing a guy in Scotty Duble. That's actually a place where it hurts you a little bit because he was, he was so steady there uh, defensively, but you know, they, they do have some good athletes, When it comes to defensively, Jess Davis, he mentioned the UAB transfer, you know, the speed on the bases is kind of what stands out. He stole 48 bases a couple of years ago at a bare minimum. That's a guy who you could easily see plugging into a late inning pinch running role, but he also uses that speed to be a very good defensive outfielder. We talked about Logan Tanner behind the plate, big time arm, but a great receiver. There's been, you know, he's on a team with Team USA with some other pretty good athletes, among catchers, you know, even if you, you you talk about just the guys who are known to be good defenders, Hayden Dunhurst, among them, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Teal's not a not a polished defender yet, but he's an outstanding athlete, and you know, Logan Tanner has has been a guy who has drawn rave reviews for what he's done behind the plate there. So, you know, I think it's a, a pretty good, a pretty athletic position player group. So I think they've got a chance. They were good defensively last year. I think they've got a chance to to be just as good. Um, and it's a it's a part that gets a little bit overlooked, but I think they've got that's part of having so many disparate pieces. I think in the lineup is that you've got, you've got a lot of guys who do a little bit of everything. And I think defense is, is, is a part of that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I mean, it's a key, obviously when you're strong up the middle, they were this year, uh, they return uh, some of those pieces. They'll have to replace De Brule and Jordan, but I, I think they, they have the, the options there. So should again, be a, a strong defensive team and, you know Mississippi State has i they they have the talent to go after a repeat national championship. Uh it's really hard to do obviously, but this is a team that is talented enough to to go after uh you know a, a repeat. I'm not ready to predict my 2022 national championship favorite, but um I don't know that I would pick them anyway, but but I, if you if you told me they were dog piling again next year in Omaha, I would not be the least bit surprised.
2: I'm I'm with you. You know, I think just based on you know, it's, we're sitting here talking about how much they have to replace, but like, look around, man. That's college baseball in 2022. You know, so it, it's going to be it, it's preparing for this season is more about finding finding the things you really like about what they have returning versus last year where it was like. Not having a lot of returning often felt disqualifying. I think it's kind of the opposite this year, where it's like, of what they have returning, like what do you like the most? And I think those are the teams that were, were most high on. And, and now it's also one of those things where, well, you know that they just did it, and so we know this group is kind of capable, and there's a lot of carryover from that group, and so there's they do get a little bit of benefit of the doubt that they that you, you know you frankly just wouldn't get had you not just had you not just done it. But I'm with you. I mean, you know, any team this good. In the SEC uh, with this kind of track record, this kind of pedigree it is going to be right there in the mix. And so, so yeah, they have to be considered in a small handful of favorites going into next year.
1: Absolutely. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely be talking Mississippi State um, a lot over the next uh, several months. It, it, it does tend to happen here. They are uh, one of the, the premier programs in the country for a reason. Uh, but, Joe, I wanted to switch gears here um head out west like i said at the top of the show the pac-12 announced on wednesday the day that we are recording this that they will for the first time in in conference history in 2022 they will have a conference tournament at, at the end of the season they're taking eight teams to scottsdale where they will play a double elimination tournament uh and the automatic qualifier instead of going to the regular season champion as has been the case um, you know as long as automatic qualifiers have been a thing in the ncaa tournament uh it will now go to the conference tournament champion making the pac-12 just like pretty much any other conference in the country now basically uh the the big west is now kind of out on an island with uh with not having conference tournament Uh, not completely on an island, but, but they're, they're the, the, the premier conference now without a tournament. This is something that a lot of people have kind of just wondered, why is the PAC Pac 12 not have a tournament? Shouldn't the PAC 12 have a tournament? And you know, now they're, they're finally going to do it. They were making significant progress towards having a tournament for the 2021 season prior to COVID, um, that, upset or that that delayed the start of the tournament and now now it'll start in 22. I personally have not been I, I have never felt that the pack 12 needed to do this. I think that if the pack 12 wants to do this, if they think they can draw a good crowd for that week, if they think that they want the the kind of festival atmosphere that a conference tournament often lends itself, then yeah, absolutely go ahead and and do it. And then we can debate whether eight teams is the right number of teams and whether Scottsdale is the right location. But if the PAC 12 is looking at this and saying, okay, the the thing that we are missing, like why, why are we not getting as many teams into the tournament NCAA tournament as we would like. Why are we not hosting as often as we would like? Why are we not a top eight seed as often as we would like? And thinking that adding the conference tournament is going to solve all of those problems. uh, I'm here to tell you, it's not there. I, I can think of a couple clear times where having a conference tournament really would have helped the PAC 12 getting another team into the NCAA tournament field, 2019 when Arizona was red hot coming down the stretch, but then the last week in the season played a bad Penn state team that did really absolutely nothing for them other than extend a winning streak for Arizona. Uh, you give Arizona a conference tournament and, and the opportunity to play top tier teams that week and Arizona, maybe they would have won the tournament, but they may well have just played their way in. And, you know, you can probably look at times where they may be a host by, by having a tournament, but it's not, it's not going to suddenly turn the PAC 12 into a 10 bid league, you know, uh, that that's, that's not happening. They, they just don't have enough team. So there, there's something to be said for this tournament. And I think it is exciting from a, a standpoint of th- there are a lot of really good baseball teams that are going to come together in Scottsdale uh, for a week. And, and that's cool. But, in terms of solving some of the pac 12's broader problems uh this is a this is one tool that can help but it 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 can't be the whole toolbox
2: yeah it's funny you you brought it up exactly the 2019 arizona is like the i think the preeminent example of, of what they're trying to like one of the things they're trying to fix with with this tournament i just don't think there's frankly a whole lot of downside to it like i just i think it's one of those things where it doesn't doesn't really hurt honestly like i think can it help some of those things that, that we've talked about? Sure. Um, you know, so that's, that's a win. Um, I think they, you know, whether or not it becomes the type of thing that ends up being a a big attendance draw, like I think starting in Scottsdale is a good idea. Your two best college baseball fan bases are in that state. So that helps.
1: Whoa. Um, Whoa. Who am
2: I thinking? Corvallis. Oh yeah. That's pretty, it's a pretty big one arguably your two biggest fan bases are in that state. Uh, Corvallis (laughs) would be the other one. That's, that's a good call. Corvallis would be the other one. Those are the three. Um, but, uh, they, you know, uh, probably won't be having it in Pacific Northwest, I guess, any, anytime soon though, I guess that's a little of a hike, but you know, I guess it's a hike for them too. Um, as I talk it out, but, um, but that's a place where, first of all you have the facilities for it um you know in arizona but you're, you're getting two of your best fan bases in the same state so you know you're going to draw u of a and asu fans especially if those two teams make deep runs um so that helps you know if you're going to make a run at actually making this thing a money maker or at least a you know a, a thing that that draws some some fans like there you go uh, that's it i also think it's it's a way in which the pac-12 This is more of like an ephemeral thing. I don't think it's necessarily provides anything tangible necessarily, although you could make that argument, I suppose. I think it also just makes the Pac-12 a little more visible the last week of the season because they're still playing regular season series while everyone else is playing conference tournaments. So they're playing games Thursday to Saturday while the major conference tournaments are starting Tuesday, Wednesday. And by the time the Pac-12 series are starting, our attention with a few exceptions, our attention tends to be more focused on whatever conference tournaments are wrapping up. And so the auto-bids start to fly around, and the Pac-12 just ends up being kind of on the backbench in terms of being front of mind. So that's ephemeral, but I think it... it but, but does that matter? I, well, I, I don't know if it actually does, but I think they would probably tell you that it, they would like that to be the case. I mean, why would you, why well, would you I mean, not
1: like that I, it doesn't. I cannot imagine it matters to the to the selection committee they'll watch whatever they need to watch but or look at rpi when it's all said and done um (laughs) but you know from a even a a college baseball attention standpoint does does it matter that they're playing a tournament now because presumably you know I I don't know that they even know how it's getting televised yet but I bet it's on the Pac-12 network and, and you know we all we don't need to go into the distribution problems of the Pac 12 network for the thousandth time on this podcast. Like, I don't know. It just, I, I, when, when they have their championship game and it's, you know, Oregon State and UCLA, like, yeah, that'll be cool, I guess. But I, I just don't know that it's going to break through, uh, in the same way. I mean, I feel like the ACC tournament struggles to break through the, the whole thing, the whole week revolves around Hoover. I mean, and maybe that's a little myopic because, I tend to be in Hoover, but I wasn't in Hoover this year. And it still felt like the whole thing was revolving around Hoover.
2: So like maybe it doesn't help, but my argument is not that it's necessarily going to be great, but it doesn't hurt. Right. I mean, playing a regular season. It does
1: not hurt. This is true.
2: Yeah. See, I mean, like playing a regular season series is like, okay, that's, I mean, the one time I can think of where it actually, I think maybe helped was in 2016, which is the counter argument for this where Utah was not going to be an at large team. And they went ahead and won the regular season title to get the auto bid. And that was actually more relevant than probably having a tournament was going. Cause also, by the way, if Utah had gone into that tournament, maybe they would have won it, but like odds are, they wouldn't have just because when you're one of eight, the odds are always against you winning a tournament. So like that was actually the counter argument to this. That's the exception to the rule, obviously, but that is kind of the one time where I do remember it's like, well, the fact they're playing a series when everyone else is playing a tournament actually is making this conference a little, a little more relevant. But um, so, like, I, I I said that kind of flippantly, just kind of for effect. But but truly, I do think this is – I think you're right. I don't think it solves a lot of the fun, fundamental problems that the Pac-12 might be trying to solve right now from a baseball standpoint. But I also think it's like – I just don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to hurt anything. I think, you know, I think it was FDR that once said, like, above all else, try something. And so I think that's, um, that's kind of what they're going for, and we're going to see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and conference tournaments generally – only help teams. They don't generally hurt teams. If you if you look, uh, it's hard to play your way out at a conference tournament. It's possible to play your way in, uh, but it, you don't generally have teams that that go from firmly in the t- in the NCAA tournament picture to out by anything that they're really doing. Um, you know, you usually have teams teams on the bubble wind up on the out, but but not not a team that was actually in the the tournament field comfortably Uh, that those those teams are usually not not going to be hurt by a conference tournament so definitely something to be said for that the the last thing i I do want to touch on here is, is scottsdale and scottsdale the the stadium is beautiful it's the san francisco giants um spring training home so it's maybe the the best park in arizona i haven't been to them all but um, you know, and I, I'm sure that some people would, would say that Salt River Fields is is number one, but, you know, Scottsdale is right there. So they're, they're in a good spot from that standpoint. But if you're playing double elimination, that means you're playing four games a day for at least a couple days. And there are going to be some very, very hot games in there. Um, and that that is a negative here uh, of of having it in Arizona, like your your point about the fan bases is definitely a good one. Uh, it's also just a, a major population center where, you know, you have a lot. I'm sure you just have a lot of fans of, of all of the teams in Phoenix um, and, and you don't have you, you don't have to. You know, it, it's a hotelable city. It's not like, you know, I, I think Southern California sometimes. Finding a, finding a spot to to play there would would be a little more challenging so you got a lot going for it here but i, I just can't have can't help but think about the 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 two o'clock 104 degree 110 degree games that that, that are going to be played in this thing oh yeah
2: it is uh it's going to be quite toasty there's' There is uh, no doubt about that. They, they, they like to say it's a, it's a dry heat, but um, you know, 110 is 110. So, you know, there's not like you can do about that, but yes, it is, you know, and, and I think that's a, a much bigger conversation for another day, but you know, it seems like every year it's usually like some local columnist for um, some program that's in a, you know, in a conference tournament and the columnist doesn't really do a lot of college baseball coverage, but like swoops in for a day or two to the conference tournament and they write some, write a column about how it's ridiculous that the, the fourth game of the day is scheduled for seven p.m. but it doesn't start until nine forty-five or something like that. And the, the, the format is is terrible. And they might not be wrong, but that's just like a an annual thing that, that we get. And you know, this one being a double elimination, traditional eight team, double elimination, at least as far as we know right now, um, is probably going to make this one of those as well. Um, and you know, we can debate about whether that's a good format or not, but it's guaranteed to be, uh, to probably be some later nights in Scottsdale.
1: It's not my favorite format, but I do think that they're right to not try and take, I mean, taking 11 teams, like, I mean, you, you can write a tournament for any number of teams. 11 is a bad number to try and take to, to your tournaments. you got to eliminate at least one. And I think the Pac-12 is fine knocking off the, the bottom three. You know, the, those teams are not tournament caliber uh, pretty much any year anyway. So if this whole thing is about juicing RPIs, and in a lot of ways it is, then uh, eight is, is probably the right number here. Um, and at that point, I guess you might as well go double elimination unless you want to go pool play. I, I do wonder if uh, they wouldn't be better served. There are a ton of baseball stadiums in Arizona. It's the one place where there are like a million stadiums. So I, I wonder if they wouldn't be better served in trying to do this in two stadiums in Phoenix and playing like nothing but night games. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm sure they thought through all options and, you know, I, whoever's stuck playing those day games, it, it's going to be rough, but uh You know, I I guess it it is what it is, and and the one thing you do know about Arizona is that it probably is not going to be raining there in in uh, the end of May.
2: You can start games at like seven and eight, seven a.m. You go seven and ten, then you take a break, and then you come back in the evening. But like now that we're, I mean, now that we're here, (laughs) like now that we're here, like I I had a conversation with somebody when I was at the MVC tournament. We were just kind of like spitballing in the press box when these these days kind of you know hours start to roll by about like. I, why you know why why couldn't you do a multi a multi uh, facility tournament you know I mean I guess it diverts eyeballs but like most of the time we're talking fans who are mostly just interested in the the one game a day that involves their team you know from a selfishly from a coverage standpoint I mean, they clear stadiums hard, anyway
1: but- that the SEC cannot be the only stadium that in the middle of the day like they sell two you know two game tickets yeah you know, they play four a day and you, you gotta clear it in the middle of the thing anyway. The ACC yeah. clears the stadium after every game like just i I I think it's I like it, it some some places it doesn't work. You don't have the second stadium and if that's what you're prioritizing you're going to limit the number of places you can go. But I think that in some cases it, it's worth it. I mean the ACC accidentally did it a couple of years ago cuz uh they were in Louisville and it was raining so much that they had to use both the AAA stadium and the Cardinals stadium, but I mean, I, I would look to that as well. I, I, I don't really see the, the negative of it.
2: Yeah. I'm with you. And I think it makes even, I think it's really scalable too. Like when you talk about things being scalable, we usually talk about like bottom up, but I think top down, because let's face it, when you start to get to a certain level of conference tournament, you're not really talking really bang up attendance either. So why are you valuing trying to get four games in and one side in one day when instead you should probably be valuing, Hey coaches, like we can guarantee with a lot more certainty that your games are going to start on time and that you're not going to be sitting at the ballpark at 1130, watching a radar or whatever it is. Um, I think prioritizing kind of the logistics of it. um, I I think should take precedent in a lot of those cases, because you could make the argument in the bigger conferences. Well, you know, we're trying to keep the inventory clean and we don't want to, the person who's just binge watching sec baseball all day, while they're working, you know, on, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, like we're trying to protect that a little bit. Okay, I get it, but you know, for these other conferences, like, what you know, what are you protecting there? Like, let's let's give the coaches and players some certainty, or at least more certainty on when they're on when they're going to play. But you know, I, we say that, and like, we're acting like we're the first people who've ever thought of this idea. So, like, I, you know, I I don't know exactly what all the hangups are, but I'm sure there are.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, like, there are three conferences that I would say don't bother looking into this and everyone else probably should the sec don't bother like you have a great tv product just focus on that and um you know i those days are impossibly long but you know people enjoy tailgating at the hoover Met. like you're fine um the big 10 as long as you're playing this in omaha the biggest thing that you can say about your tournament uh is that you know, you're giving teams an opportunity to play in TD Ameritrade Park. Like, don't deny anyone that opportunity. And then the ACC, you don't really need to do this because pool play makes it like unnecessary for for the most part. So if you don't want to explore the the second ballpark, like I would, I would understand that as well. Um, and then you can probably get a bigger ballpark because. It's hard to go to a, a place that has two AAA size stadiums like that. That is hard to find. So you that the ACC can can keep their big crowds, uh, you know, man, possible without then trying to find a, a second stadium. Everyone else, go go find a site where you can play two games. I, I I don't I don't know who. I mean, maybe the Big Twelve occasionally draws enough that they need the full capacity of their AAA stadium, but. Short of them, I I don't know who else is drawing like that.
2: Well, then you could, like, you could, if you're a bigger conference, obviously the Big 12, this does not, this does not apply. But if you're a bigger conference, like, you know, if if you're the Southland, like, and I get you don't want to dilute the product maybe, but I don't know, like, and you can invite 12 teams now, you know, and play with two sites. Like, you can get a little bit, I think, crazier with the formats if you have that flexibility. So now, at a certain point, that would defeat the purpose of splitting it. But I think there is a middle middle ground there. So um, just to make it clear, Teddy and I are available for consulting gigs. Um, Any sort of work you're doing on this, like would be happy to uh, take those sweet, sweet consulting dollars and uh, give you all the advice we got. Although I'm afraid we we may have given it all up here. So who knows what else we have? (laughs) I guess for the business standpoint, I should say that we have way more. I got more thoughts on conference tournaments. I'm sure you do too. We have way more in the tank. Just trust us. But we, you know, we have to sign the deals (laughs) first.
1: Yes. uh, And you can find us, at Ted Cahill, and at Joe Healy BA. Also, if you want to drop into the uh, iTunes comments, we'll uh we'll probably check there. So if you uh just just drop us a line there and we'll uh we'll find it as well if you leave a five-star uh review. And while you're there, you might as well subscribe to the Baseball America podcast, uh, which you can find on all your favorite podcasting apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh really wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. So hit the hit the subscribe button. Uh, all right, Joe, if you have no further, uh, freebies before we start our, our college baseball consulting service, uh, let's wrap this one up. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll have plenty more to, to talk about, uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the off season, um, about Mississippi state. And I'm sure, uh, next May, we're going to be talking PAC 12 tournaments. So, uh, happy to, uh, to get back to those subjects then. All right. So we're, uh, remember subscribe to the baseball America college podcast, follow us on Twitter. We're doing this once a week during the off season, uh, plenty of content over on the website till then. Uh, so check that all out and we'll be back here to talk to you next time on the baseball America college podcast for Joe. I'm Teddy. We'll see you later.